0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Nicole Poznov.
1: And I'm Gregory Robinson.
0: And we're here with Cassandra Marion. Hi Cassandra, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? Good! So this is a very special episode to me because we're talking about Canmoon. So this is a project done at Western University and it's a simulation to the moon type project which I'm also participating in, but Cassandra here is the lead MOM. So could you tell us a little bit about what MOM stands
2: for and what your role is? I am the mission operations manager for CANMoon, which is a lunar sample return rover mission to the far side of the moon.
0: Cool, so what what would you do as a MOM?
2: <laughs> uh, basically I oversee most of the operations for Canmoon, so I'm responsible for planning the operations, training the personnel. We have 55 people participating, and yeah, just overall management. And I'm not the top of the hierarchy. There are two principal investigators. Um, one is Dr. Gordon Odzinski from Western, and one is Dr. Ed Clutis from the University of Winnipeg. And so I um, They oversee the the everything and then I just uh, take care of the general management.
1: And so where exactly are you guys going? Where is this rover going to land?
2: The rover or the simulated rover will land in Lanzarote, which is an island in the Canary Islands, which is part of Spain.
1: Okay. Interesting. So you're trying to simulate landing on the moon. What exactly is the terrain on the moon in that area that you guys would potentially be landing in?
2: So our mission, we're trying to simulate
1: landing in the Schrodinger
2: Basin, which is on the uh, lunar far side close to the southern pole. And that is an impact crater, so it would be filled dominantly by igneous rocks, and it also has um, some volcanic terrain. And Lanzarote is a volcanic island. That's about the the limit of what I'm allowed to say, because uh, science done for the mission is um, they are... The mission control science team are not to have sort of a preliminary knowledge of the geology of
1: the site. So it's top secret. Top secret. Okay, <laughs> yeah. interesting.
2: What if someone's been there?
0: Uh, are they not allowed to participate? Yep, they're tight-lipped. <laughs> <laughs> and so why is going to the far side of the moon, why is that uh, unique or special for us?
2: Um, well, to start, we have never sent a rover to the far side of the moon. Um, there have been three lunar rovers ever that were not manned by astronauts: the Lunokhod rovers and the Chang'e Three rover, which is the more recent rover. Yeah, we do not have a robotic presence on the far side of the moon.
1: So, um, what what exactly is your role? What would so you're you're planning it, right? So, what exactly does being the you said mom? Mm-hmm. Or I don't I don't. What's your official title?
2: Mission operations manager.
1: Mission operations manager. That's why you say mom. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what exactly? have you done to get everything ready for this um, simulated mission?
2: Okay, um, so to start off, planning the timeline, so we decided, uh, myself and um, the other leads for the mission, including the PIs, on when to run the mission, and then uh, kept narrowing down the plan to simulate as best possible what an actual lunar rover mission would look like. And then we designed how basically mission control would work. So uh, the way it is designed is there is a science team and a planning team, they're in adjacent rooms. And the science team makes all the decisions on what they'd like the rover to do. They send those requests to the planning team and the planning team um, makes that happen and sends a command directly to the rover. The rover gets the command, completes the command in Lanzarote and then sends the, uh, the data back or the sends a response back depending on if they've asked to collect data or um, just drive a certain distance that they've made it or completed the activity. We call them rover activities. They have a
1: long list of rover activity commands. How how long have you been planning this for? Just out of curiosity. Oh, uh,
2: I think we received the grant last fall. Okay. Um, And then planning really just kind of kick-started in January, February around and then training the people. We plan the operations, get the people, Train the people. Yeah, and
1: so this would be Canadian scientists that we could potentially use going forward for yep. landing on the moon or maybe going to Mars?
2: Maybe not all Canadian scientists, but Canadian trained scientists. Canadian trained scientists. Because we have okay. a wide range of students okay. that include international students. Okay.
1: But this is, it's f- the grants from the Canadian government, I'm assuming? Yep, the Canadian yeah. Space Agency. Have we had a presence in Canada, like the Canadian... Any any Canadians, I guess, or like our Canadian space agency, Have we had a presence in the past. Have we done any other missions going out to space? Um,
2: yes, we have? Okay. <laughs> quite a bit we actually. Have, yeah, I will say that we have not led many missions, but we have been a part of many many missions. Um, the one of the more one of the more recent ones is Osiris Rex, which is a mission to the asteroid Bennu, um, and our PI. Uh, Ed Clutis from the University of Winnipeg has a, a significant presence, presence in that mission. Um, yep, We have okay. Canada, Canada Arm, Arm. We have a, we have a yeah. big presence a, in space, okay. but and we also have astronauts. I mean, Chris Hadfield in the yeah. International Space Station, I'm sure everyone's heard of his name by now. So we do have a big presence. Yeah. currently awesome. yeah We currently have uh, two active Canadian astronauts and two in training, okay. and one just got back from space.
0: And I believe we're also participating in the Gateway uh, Lunar Work too, right? We have an arm, the Canada Arm 2 coming for that and
2: stuff like that. Technically, it would be Canada Arm 3 because there actually is a Canada Arm 2. So there are two Canada Arms and Dexter on the International Space Station. That's awesome. And so, yeah, Lunar Gateway will be a, we can call it Canada Arm 3. So
1: what's, where are these Canada Arms? Uh,
2: They're, so... In the past, one of Canada's biggest presence in space has been our r- robotics abilities, okay. uh, technologies. And so Canada Arm is a, it is exactly that. It's a robotic arm on the space station that is used for all sorts of activities, um, including uh, repairs and moving payloads from one spot to another okay. on the space station.
1: And what was this, you said lunar gateway. What's, what's the lunar gateway?
2: Lunar gateway is... Uh, call it a plan, okay. a mission plan that is a collaboration between most of the space agencies around the globe, um, led by the more prominent ones. Um, it's another, inter- so I should say it's a an international effort to put in basically a lumin- lunar orbiting space station.
1: Okay, so that you could go to the, the moon quickly, easily, or is there any other purposes for it?
2: Um... I believe there's a long list of purposes, but part okay. of it is so. Originally, we were at all of the um, all of the spacefaring country governments were saying, "Let's go to Mars! Let's go to Mars! Let's go to Mars!" And then that was pulled back, and they decided, "No, it makes more sense to go to the Moon first, uh, in preparation for Mars." Okay. So the the goal, the end goal, is still Mars, but we're going back to the Moon first because we should. <laughs> And that's um, exactly there's still a lot we can learn from the moon. so.
0: And that's mm. exactly what Canman's for, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which is starting when?
2: Uh, it starts Monday. Monday morning Ooh, Monday. at 4 a.m. 4 a.m. Why 4 a.m.? Uh, 4 a.m., because our moon time is Lanzarote time, uh, we are following the, let's say, the Lanzarote work day. So daylight hours, essentially, for Lanzarote. Um, because in the field team, it's way more important for the field team to be able to see what they're doing than it is for mission control who can turn on the lights. And how long does this mission last? It's a two-week mission. It lasts from August 5th to 16th. And why two weeks? Um, Well, a lot of our participants are students, and a lot of the participation is volunteer, although they're strongly encouraged by their supervisors, etc. Our participants range from postdocs uh, PhD, master students, as well as undergrad students.
1: And so they can't be there, like, just for one week, 24-7, obviously. They have other obligations, and they have to sleep. Exactly. And so that's kind of why you're doing it over two weeks, just to get everything that you want to get done.
2: Yeah, so keep it short enough so that we could get uh, as m- the participation we needed to fill the, the operations roles, because there's okay. a long list of roles and certain things that we can't, certain roles that we can't do without, and we need the we need the resources to man those roles. Sure. Um, yep. So two weeks was a, let's say, a compromising time. And all of those students, they still have thesis work to do, and the postdocs still have their research to do, and everyone else still has their day job.
1: So when this simulated rover lands somewhere in Spain, what exactly is it collecting? You're saying that they're going to get some data, and they're going to send it back and analyze it, but like, what What exactly are you guys looking at? Can, can you talk about that?
2: Um, I can give you examples. Okay. <laughs> so... On our rover, we have a series of instruments. We have three different kinds of cameras. Okay. Um, One that can take panoramic images, one that can take long uh, a zoom camera that can zoom in a little bit closer and take a high-res image of a small area. We also have a real-time camera, which is one they can turn on. It's it's actually uh, very similar to a security camera. Okay. Um, So it actually, it's a pan-tilt camera that they can turn on and in real time have it rotate around wherever you want and look at anything in particular but it's low res because it's real time you're getting a video feed instead of just images sent back Um, and then we also have a series of instruments Uh, there are instruments that give us chemical information about the rocks so geochemical and there are instruments that give us mineralogical information. One instrument gives you information about the molecules that are present. So that could be organic molecules like hydrocarbons or things like that. Not that we're looking for life on the moon, no. but um, we've given up this on is that. The, the range of <laughs> I don't know, we never <laughs> came up, but um, that's the range. So <clears throat> that's not one of the uh, life is not one of our objecti- science objectives. For this mission, but definitely an objective on Mars where we would use a similar suite of instruments. Uh, our geochemical and mineralogical instruments consist of a variety of spectrometers, which give us information on chemistry of the rocks, the mineralogy of the rocks, and sort of the molecular components of the rocks. And we can put that together to interpret um, the terrain and the geology. That
1: okay. we see. Are you guys actually going to like take some samples, like take rocks and put it on the rover and take it back?
2: Exactly. Uh, it's a sample return mission. Okay. Um, so, yes. And in cool. a real lunar sample return mission, that's another thing that the Lunar Gateway would be used for. We would send the probe back up to Lunar Gateway and where uh, they could store the samples for the next mission that could come and send them back kind of thing.
0: And how many samples can you get? Like, how much weight, I guess, worth
2: of samples can you guys bring back? So, in this case, our our weight limit is not actually realistic to a lunar mission because we're actually restricted by the local government's restrictions. So we had to, we are restricted by some conditions that our research permit has set to us. So about 10 kilograms of rocks we'll be able to take
0: back. And how much can regular lunar mission sample
2: return missions, bring back? There's not a fixed number. It totally depends on what rover and what probes they send down. Um, Yeah, there's quite a range. It just Mm -hmm. depends on, they all, you know, they... They decide on a, on a platform and on a payload, and then um, however much weight they work with in the end, it could be similar. Like it could be small, but I imagine that it would probably be a little bit more than 10 kilograms. Mm. In the past, it wasn't. It
0: hasn't been much more than that, has it?
2: No, I don't think so. But mm. um, as I said, for lunar, as far as lunar rovers go, it's mm-hmm. different than Martian rovers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Martian rovers is actually, we haven't had a sample return from Mars yet. I mean, we have a rover collecting samples to be returned, but we haven't gotten any samples back aside from meteorites Mm
1: -hmm. that have landed on Earth. So there could be life on Mars and we just don't know it yet? Sure. I don't
2: know. (laughs) I (laughs) think so. Anything's possible. It's likely in bacterial form, but um, who knows? (laughs) We have to explore more to be able to answer that. I don't think we would ever be able to answer that confidently until we, you know, had a permanent presence on the planet.
1: So you're saying we could live on the we could live on Mars maybe at some point in the future. If Elon you're talking Musk style.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was I, going. I, I completely believe that we will explore Mars. Yeah. Have like a successful human exploration of, of Mars at some point in the future. Could be nearer future. But um, do I think that we are going to move a large portion of our civilization there and permanently keep them there for a long time? I think that's probably more distant future. I don't think it's impossible. Um if you're talking about terraforming, I can tell you that that process takes thousands to hundreds of thousands of years to have it terraformed to the state
1: What's a terraform?
2: A uh, terraform is uh, <laughs> is changing the environment of Mars so that it would support our kind of life.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's what I was actually getting at, yeah.
0: So what's the problem with... Why haven't we had humans on Mars? What's the problem with that?
2: I think, well, the primary issue is probably a political and a cultural one. Um, the more that we do space exploration... I mean, it's the same... Kind of the same reason that in the past we haven't gone back to the moon for so long. It's it's costly. Uh, and to devote a certain amount of budget towards that. And also the, the outlook on the risk... The risks involved in sending people to space has changed since the 60s. It's no longer a space race. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, that's for sure one of the drivers. At the time, it was definitely one of the drivers. Multiple space agencies are now gunning for the moon. So... Mm -hmm. You can call it kind of call it a space race, but it doesn't have the same feel.
0: I feel like now it's like more international. Like Even when you're on the International Space Station, it doesn't matter where you come from. Like You're all from Earth. You're all working together. It doesn't matter if you're Russian, Canadian, American, whatever, right? It's kind of more international now than as before it was actually a race and a competition. Mm-hmm. More like. But back to Can Moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, it's two weeks on Earth, which is two days on the moon and you're working from 4 till 4 a.m. till 2 Mm -hmm. p.m. What do you think will be the biggest struggle?
2: Oh, just keeping everything going smoothly. A lot of the mission planning was in my hands, and now everything's planned, and basically when I set things to go, there are a series of uh, people that are in leadership positions, and they will basically take the mission and and make it happen, and I get to kind of sit and watch and just troubleshoot. So for me, it'll be uh, basically just helping them get what they need and and make sure things go smoothly, and if anything comes up, then then I'm there to address it. So, yeah, I guess I kind of have to stress? wait and see. No, not to worry about stress. I am concerned about, because the hours are so odd, and so a lot of people will be basically kind of suffering like a type of jet lag. So we'll see how the attitudes and morale stays, especially later in the shifts. I'm hoping that, I think that's gonna be the overall, one of the bigger overall challenges, Mm -hmm. is to keep people awake and alert and uh, engaged.
0: Well, that's like a a real problem for even like current lunar missions, right? Like they're 24 seven, you always have to have someone watching, like people are gonna be working different shifts. So like it's good practice for if someone wants that kind of job in the future. true. (laughs) <laughs> and what do you think will be the hardest thing in terms of operations
2: so communications actually is typically the bottleneck of all of all of our missions it's the bottleneck of real missions and it's the bottleneck of analog missions because um, if we lose comms with the rover there nothing is happening mm-hmm.
0: yeah and that's but that's realistic
2: to going to the far side of the moon as
0: well right because mm-hmm. there's no direct communication with something that's uh, not facing us
2: so I could very much simulate a real mission. Yep, could be. Um, we have, we'll hopefully have the gateway and other lunar orbiters to help ping our signal. But um, in, in the real moon mission case, but in our case, we're trying to simulate continuous comms. So, but our comms may go down because the system that we have in place uses the three G network in Lanzarote, mm-hmm. uh, which is not always reliable. And so it's very possible that we use lose comms on and off and then we follow a procedure for when that happens.
1: You essentially have like a manual of like what to do when certain things happen. Yep. So and in you each, had to make it?
2: each, I didn't have to make them. I, let's say I
1: told the people to make them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. So yes, I, I delegated the, I may, I have a list of tasks that I know that need to be completed to make the mission go down to work. Okay. And our our leads are also uh, most of the people in sort of executive positions or leadership positions. They all are veterans of analog missions, so they have some experience as well. Um, so we delegate. They are each responsible for uh, their teams and then the procedures that have to go down in those teams. And basically, I they suggest them, and I I give guidance. But, um, but they, really, inters- they really take the, the but lead. But my on
0: understanding it. is that there's not a lot of uh, analog missions happening in Canada, like simulation
2: missions happening in Canada, are there? To my knowledge, there are only a few. So there, are, there are different kinds of missions. There mm-hmm. are a lot of analog studies, like let's say scientific studies in environments that are analogous to extraterrestrial environments. Um, analog missions for lunar rover studies, they there are some. They are they don't always have this big of a Contribution to them. So, for example, um, UTIAS at the University of Toronto—they're designing rovers and they do analogous rover operations. But they're only—they are only testing a small part of what a lunar mission would entail. Just like we are, we're—we're we're testing mission control operations, or like and the communications, though that type of operations by simulating as many aspects of a mission as we can. But there are other missions where. Um, they're testing individual bits and pieces of that. And they're much smaller,
1: more specialized groups. So you said this is an analog mission. Mm-hmm. What does that exactly mean? What, what is an analog mission?
2: An analog mission is just, analog is just another way of saying simulated. Okay. Yeah. So uh, an analog mission, we're simulating a real mission, a real, we're simulating a rover and in, a, in an environment that is similar to the environment we're trying to go to.
0: Okay, and e- okay, and okay. even like the rooms where we're working from, it's like a room covered in TVs, like everyone has their computer, <laughs> like it's it's legitimate, like
2: yeah. NASA style, like <laughs> lunar operation. And everyone has name tags and labels for their stations and assigned stations. Uh, we add as much structure and procedure as possible.
0: And so you're outside of CanMoon, you're a PhD student, right? Yep. So what's your work outside of CanMoon? Is it something related to moon simulation?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yes and no. So um, I I am a geologist, planetary scientist, and I study impact cratering. So specifically, I study impact melting and hydrothermal mineralization in impact craters. So an impact crater is um, a meteorite impact, but those that happened a long time ago. These are impacts that basically make a hole in the ground that is, in my case, is 20 plus kilometers in diameter. So, And are you almost done? How much time do you have? I'm very near the end, but uh, now happily distracted with this lunar mission. <laughs> <laughs> and do you
0: have any goals, or any plans for after you've done your PhD?
2: I'll probably stick around Western for postdoc, and then we'll see what... Uh, opportunities
1: the future holds. To come back to Kanmun, I'm just curious, <laughs> when this is all over, what exactly do you want to say that you've accomplished? What have you guys, what are the, like, the main objectives that you want to complete? What will this going forward help do? Just to finish off here.
2: Well, firstly, I will say that even though the operations are will be over, so the actual communication with the rover and that little bit is over, the actual mission Itself is not entirely over. We have our field team will be in the field for uh, up almost two weeks after operations, and they will be doing what we call validation work. So mm-hmm. they're going to rewalk the rover path. They're going to reanalyze all of our rocks. They're going to collect additional samples, and they're going to compare how we did as a rover to what, firstly, like a field geologist would have done and would have got out of the experience. Okay. Or, or an astronaut. Yeah. So right. basically,
1: you're trying to see how valid, like what you guys collected, if that mm-hmm. is actually standard of like what's actually there, mm-hmm. like a sample. Yep. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So not only just what to sample, but let's say that we had the rover drive to an outcrop, and um, it saw something really interesting, collected some data, and then moved on to another site, and then just around the corner from that, there was something groundbreaking that they missed. Yeah. Okay. We want to know why we missed it and learn from why we missed it
1: so that if like you went to mars you wouldn't be biased and like you just saw certain things because you landed in that specific area essentially Mm -hmm. and this is this is
2: an aspect that can be applied to any planetary body because you're seeing things sort of like through a fisheye lens right yeah exactly you're you're going to miss things that is inevitable but what we want to do is avoid missing things if we can. So that's one of the things is the mission continues and we will be doing, we're bringing those rocks back and then we're going to analyze them and we're going to compare even not just what we missed in the field, but also how good were our instruments? Did we, if we reanalyze them in the laboratory, is the data a similar quality, et cetera, et cetera. So we're kind of taste testing yeah. all of these things. Um, so that's some of the things that we want to get back is, yeah. um, how, how well did we do in commanding this rover? Sci- okay. from a science point, point of view and from a navigational point of view. And then, um, we want to get back, how well did our operations run? So I talked about designing how the operation structure works yeah. and the two d- different teams and those teams, each team has its own separate structure and organization and procedures mm-hmm. to follow. How did those work? Do, if we were going to then contribute to a real lunar mission, what aspects of those should we change if we're gonna actually apply them to a real mission? Yeah. Okay. And so and that's we're gonna basically give that in a nice neat package to the space agency. So hopefully it'll get used and in addition to all of the people participating in the mission, they will be able to be hired on to
1: participate in real yeah. missions. Just out of curiosity, how uh, many people are on this project? Like there in total? Are
2: 55. 55.
0: Okay. So how between 55 people are you supposed to decide if, like, what you're going to do? Like, are you going to stay at a certain spot and keep analyzing? Are you going to keep going? Like, <laughs> do you, where do you collect the samples? Because you're on a tight timeline. Like, mm-hmm. what, how do you think that's going to go down?
2: <laughs> um, so that's part of the reason why we had to think o- those many months in designing how the operations went. So. I don't think it's any secret that if you have a smaller number of people, you'll probably reach a consensus earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what we did with our science team, which are are those that, are get together and, uh, make the decisions on what to do next. Uh, we have split them into science interpretation, whom just look at the data and work independently of the Rover's schedule and a tactical science team. And each one in the tactical science team is broken down into instrument teams. And Nicole mm-hmm. is one of our camera instrument team leads, so she knows this. Um, but each of those instrument teams have a lead, so they basically have, in French we call it a porte-parole. Um, it's a spokesperson, let's say, for that instrument. So in that instrument team, let's say the next activity we'll want to get the rover to do is collect a panorama. Um, the panorama, the whole tactical team might... Give some instructions on uh, some, some input on where they want to do that or how they want to do that. The instrument team for that instrument, so that in this case it would be like PANCAM, led by our science team lead, and they would come to a consensus with the rest of the tactical team once they presented their thinking. And then um, if a the consensus is easily reached, <laughs> it makes it easy for our, our science lead. But if not, uh, he just makes an executive decision, and then he passes that instruction onto our science planning integrator, who is, uh, there are two people in each, uh, per one person in each room that are responsible for communicating to the other room and communicating to the rover and to the leads. Um, and then he would send that instruction off.
1: No way. This is, it's fascinating. And I'm <laughs> just, I'm wondering, is there some place that people can go to, like a site, and they can learn more about this mission or future missions? Uh,
2: yep. So you can learn about the CanMoon mission. We do have a website. It's on Western's Center for Planetary Science and Exploration website. I don't know the actual thing right now, but if you Google uh, CPSX Western CanMoon, it'll probably come up.
1: Okay. And we'll add a link to it yeah. as well that you can probably find in this.
2: You can also follow. We are going to have a large, we already started, but we will continue to have a large Twitter presence. Okay. Um, so our hashtag is CanMoon, just <laughs> capital C-A-N, capital M for moon. Okay.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been very informative. I've learned a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, time to start adjusting the sleep schedule, Oh, eh? my God. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Well, this has been GradCast, official radio show and podcast of the Society Students, Society Graduate Students at Western University. Uh, If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can listen to us. We are on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 also, you can listen to us on our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, we have select podcasts that can be watched on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. This episode has been with our guest, Cassandra Marion, our Cass, or mom, <laughs> and uh, hosted by myself, Nicole Poznov, and Greg Robinson. And thank you very much for listening to this episode. Have a great night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.